Thank you. Uh, that song there, Through the Storm, He is Lord, Lord of All. Um, this, this morning when we were praying, uh, Ruth uh, said, Be still and know that I am God. And throughout, uh, also this morning I've received a message from a friend in Salisbury who said, Be still and know that I am God. And I just wonder if there's someone who's in a bit of a storm. And the encouragement to you this morning is to be still and know that God is God. He's in control. Well, good morning to you. Uh, if you don't know me or I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Lawrence and uh, I serve as part of the leadership here at uh, Christchurch Baptist. And it's my privilege to share God's word with you this morning and to continue on in this what has been a really challenging teaching series, hasn't it? Um, we're focused on the story of Samson from the Old Testament. And it's a story of a gifted man, gifted by God with strength. He's a strong man, but he's confronted with his weakness, physically, morally, and spiritually. So we're in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges, it picks up the story of God's people of Israel, the tribes of Israel, as they are led by Joshua into the promised land. And before Joshua dies, he says to them, keep God's command so that you can be an example to the nations around you. So I guess, in a sense, that the whole world can see who God is. And sadly, the book of Judges is a tragic account of the failure of those chosen people to live up to that calling. They come to look eventually no different to the nations around them. So the judges, the leaders, well, their leadership across the book uh, goes from okay to, oh, to bad and then to worse. And Samson is the worst. It's a story of a spiraling progression of moral corruption. God has called these people to be holy, but they're not. And Samson is by far the worst, uh, uh, we're told in the story. So why do I highlight this this morning? Because it's not a very encouraging way to start, is it? But I highlight it because we need to recognize just how bad things have become, just how far removed they have become from the original intention that God had for the people. And yet, even in that context, we have heard time and again over these weeks that the Spirit stirs. Not because God endorses bad human free will choices, but because he is first and foremost committed to saving his people. Do you remember week one in the story, Christine uh, told us about the background of the story, the oppression of God's people by the Philistines, the anything-goes culture that had permeated the tribes. It was into this moment that God made a promise, didn't he? A gift of life to a childless couple, a life that was birthed with promise. And we had the challenge to remember that it's God who keeps his promises and that life changes when God gets involved. The story started well, a miracle a dedication of life to serve God as a Nazarite, being set apart. And then week two, do you remember, Chris brought to us the story which um, helped us to remember that what we focus on, what we, uh, will, will end up leading us and shaping us and guiding us. And Samson was meant to focus on his Nazarite vow. But instead, do you remember, he gets caught touching a dead lion, something that was unclean, which only moments before in the story, really, did God's strength that he had given to him helped him overcome that lion? It's a moment of betrayal of his vow. And Chris asked that really tough question of us. Do you remember? Who would betray God for a handful of honey? And then just last week, 
we had that uncomfortable story of anger, of revenge, of death, and a donkey's jawbone. And yet, at the end of such a tragic story, there is this moment of humility where Samson calls out to God, which seems to be the platform on which Samson stepped into leading the people of Israel for 20 years. And then one day, one day, that's what we got to, wasn't it, last week? One day. So let's take a look at what happens next as we, well, it's a bit of a nosedive of morality and leadership, really, on Samson's part. Uh, but we'll follow through together. Let's turn to Judges 16. We're going to work through the passages, and we will make frequent stops to try and make sense of this challenging story and what it means for us. So read with me from Judges uh, 16, verses 1 to 3. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them high onto his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Okay. So it's a short story before the main event of uh, this, this uh, character Delilah and this relationship with Samson. But it tells us something about Samson. He is already falling down this slippery slope. He's not got to Gaza by accident. He's traveled there knowing full well what he was going to do. He has put one foot in front of the other to get down to Gaza. So we have Samson, this man who has presumably been leading well for 20 years, now engaging in deliberate acts of rebellion, showing no regard for God's law. It was going well, and then one day it wasn't. How do we make sense of that? Well, I wonder if you know the feeling. Do you ever have that feeling where one day it's going well and then one day it isn't? You're living, living well with God, and then one day you realize that you're not. And if we're honest, I think that is a pretty common experience for those who try and follow Jesus. I'm reminded of that verse from the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, where he writes, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. The struggle is real for Paul. And it got me thinking that the struggle to live right, as in the way that God wants us to, is, is real. The struggle is real. And so really early on in the things I want to say to you this morning, I want to uh, give you a challenge, but also an encouragement. The challenge is to watch out for those one-day moments. And the encouragement is the joy of church, because we don't struggle alone. We watch over each other. We watch out for one another. So the encouragement is, let's be a church that shares the struggle. It's a Galatians uh, 6 thing. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That gets to be our story as church. That gets to be our encouragement. And whilst it gets to be our story, it's clearly not Samson's story. The people in the city of Gaza discover that he's there and they know what he's doing because he's been so blatant. He's not even trying to hide his behavior. So the people of the city make a plan to kill him. But then, another miraculous moment of strength. 
where Samson rips out the city gate, including the gatepost. And this is no front garden picket fence gate. This would have been a massive gate. The post would have been at least two stories high and sunken deep into the ground. And he rips them out and he carries them a far distance on his shoulder. What on earth is Samson doing? Well, he's completely showing off. What? And that's the point he's making because of his bravado, his pride. If you think about it, it would have been uh, simply breaking down the gates would have been sufficient to escape. But he's showing off. He's humiliating the city, leaving it wide open for conquest. He's wanting the city people to see him as he sees himself. Powerful, unstoppable, unaccountable. His actions are completely self-serving at this point. He has this strength gifted by God, and yet God's people are still being oppressed by the Philistines. And he's using his strength to escape from a visit with a prostitute. Not a good way to use the gift that God has given you. And then we come to verse 4. And you'll notice that some time has passed, but the Philistines don't forget what has happened. They haven't forgotten the humiliation that had took place in Gaza, and they're committed to discovering the source of Samson's strength so that they can return their humiliation with his. So let's read on together. If you look at verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels. This is an incredible amount of money that she is being offered. These rulers are fanatical about their request. The amount of money shows us just how serious they are. And it's also safe to make the assumption that the need to ask what the secret to Samson's strength is lets us know that Samson actually, in fact, looks just like any other person. He's not built like a superhero. If he had massive biceps, it would have been obvious what the source of his strength was. But it wasn't obvious to them. Now, we know that his strength was in the Lord because we've read it. We know that he has a special calling as a Nazarite, but the Philistines don't have that information. So as we continue on in the story, notice now how Delilah persists. Why would she do that? Because she now has a contract to fill. There's opportunity for a very lucrative payment. But remember, too, that Samson is proud. He's forgotten the source of his strength, and he is toying and teasing in his responses to Delilah. Verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. So the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You've lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took, the, took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. 
He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into, the fabric, into fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. So what's going on here? There's been three attempts uh, have been made to find the source of Samson's strength. And yet three times, Samson replies with a bit of pride. He takes the mick a little bit because he's using imagery from the Philistines' own belief system of magic. And he's using that to tease Delilah. Or maybe that's how it comes across, at least. Three times, the Philistines have yet to come out from their hiding place, which makes sense. Otherwise, Samson would have known that he was in danger, wouldn't he? He would have put two and two together. But something really interesting happens in his teasing, in his third response. Just look how close he comes to giving the secret away as he links his strength to the sign of his vow, his hair. Delilah is oblivious. She doesn't know his weakness, but he's aware of his vow. He's teetering on the edge, flirting with danger. He's seeing how close he can get to the, the line without getting caught out. But the story is about to shift. Plan one of flattery didn't work when Delilah said, tell me the secret of your strength. Plans two and three didn't work where there was a bit of blame and shame where Delilah said, you've made a fool of me, you've lied to me. Now for a plan that's much more cutting. Remember how it started in verse four, Samson had fallen in love. So let's pick up at verse 15. Then she said to him, said to him how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your strength. With such nagging and prodding, uh, she prodded him every. She prodded him day after day, until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. So Delilah saw what he had told her. Uh, sorry, Delilah saw that he had told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers returned with, the sil with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to, uh, to subdue him. And his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding corn in prison. So Samson is done. He's worn down by Delilah, and he tells her everything about his Nazarite vow, the source of his strength. Samson has now crossed that line and has entered the danger zone. And at this point, he perhaps just doesn't realize how much danger he really is in whether it's because he has so much bravado or pride or maybe disbelief that he could ever be at risk with such strength or maybe he was blinded by his love or his infatuation, whatever his thinking, just when it couldn't get any worse, he literally puts down all defenses and takes a nap. He is now totally vulnerable. And it's easy to look at the story of Samson and to imagine some coloring in sheet from Sunday school of a buff man like an Old Testament action figure but the actual story is set against the backdrop of misuse of money, sex, and power. 
And we only have to look at our own news feeds to realize that things back then are not so different to things now. Our contemporary backdrop is about the misuse of those things. So what insights do we get from looking at Samson's story that we can apply to our own story so that we can live in a way that is an example to the nations? The tribes didn't get it right in the story. Samson didn't get it right, but can we? So Samson is totally vulnerable when he took a nap, but his downward spiral started much earlier. There are a number of times when he could have pulled out of that destructive nosedive. An example was in verse 1 when it said one day. He had a choice before him. He didn't have to take that trip. Another example in verse 13 when he was playing with the secret of his vow with his head, just seeing how close he can get to that line without crossing it. And obviously, finally, in verse 17 where he gave up the secret of his strength. He loses so much because of a downward spiral of behavior, attitude, and belief. Now, I'm not talking this morning about behavioral rules that we need to keep in order to be good, because our actions and our behaviors, in fact, come from our thoughts and our beliefs. Our actions and our behaviors come from our thoughts and our beliefs. Samson thought that he was unstoppable. He had great belief in his strength, and he believed it was his to do with as he pleased. How different things would have been if he had remembered his vow and his calling. How different the outcome if his relationship with God was first and foremost in his heart and mind. It raises some questions for us. How are your thoughts and beliefs shaping your actions and behaviors? How does your relationship with God affect how you live out your life? And is God first and foremost in your heart and mind? One of the important things in this story is that Samson epitomizes the journey that all of God's chosen people at that point had been on. They were meant to be holy, but they're not. They were meant to be with God, but they've moved so far away. They were meant to be set apart, but now they look just like any other nation. I wonder if there's anything that you were meant to do with God. A calling, perhaps, a ministry. Is there something that you need to come back to before you get too far away? Is God calling you back to something this morning. Samson was supernaturally empowered with strength from God, and yet he forgets who it is that uh, gave it to him, and he uses it for himself. His great power came with great responsibility, but his relationship with God was also meant to be great. The great power in our lives isn't our skill, our gifts, our talents, or abilities. The great power in our life is our relationship with God. The tribes of Israel had forgotten that. Samson had forgotten that. Have we forgotten that? Do we forget that? Sometimes, maybe, possibly. And if this isn't already tough enough, let's talk about temptation. We all know what our weaknesses are, don't we? What tempts us to turn away from our relationship with God? The stuff that we pursue that we're too embarrassed to do with God actually with us. Whatever that is for you, whether it's an action, an attitude, a behavior, a habit, or a relationship, whatever that line is for you, I know what that line is for me, but whatever that line is for you, we remember that Romans 7 bit, don't we? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. The struggle is real. For Samson, that struggle had a very dramatic impact. He was captured, tied up, made blind, and set to work like an animal. 
when we don't treasure our relationship with God, when we flirt with the line, when we cross the line of sin and live in opposition to God, when we get ourselves tied up, struggling to see the way forward, life can be burdened. It's a sad ending for Samson after a sad series of events. But is it? Verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The end of the story is never the end of the story with God. There is always hope. This is why we treasure our relationship with him. Because even when we stuff it up, it's not the end of our story either. We've heard it week in and week out throughout this series that it's not about what Samson does. It's about what God does. Samson fails, but God doesn't. We sometimes fail, but God doesn't. Do you know what God does? We only have to look at Jesus. He picks up the scroll in Luke 4 and he tells us what he does. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what God does. For the blind, bound, and imprisoned, it's pretty relevant. Jesus is someone that we need. The incredible thing about the grace of God, as Christine reminded us all those weeks ago, is that God keeps his promises. His grace is abundant. It's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me. He is generous, kind, and lavish. He loves us. And you might think, yeah, but what about this thought that I had? No, he loves you. What about this thing that I said? No, he loves you. This thing that I did? No, he loves you. But what about this relationship where, no, he loves you? Remember Romans 8 where it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor the powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you, us, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? There's nothing that you can do, that I can do, that will separate us from the love that God has for us as demonstrated through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are a loved people. You are a loved person. If nothing else this morning, hear that you are loved. God first loved you. We know that from 1 John chapter 4. Do you remember how this whole thing started in the book of Judges, the worst judge being Samson, and yet the Spirit of God is at work? Not because God is endorsing bad behavior, bad choices, or poor use of free will, but because God is first and foremost committed to saving his people. God is committed to saving you. And I'm certain that no one here has a story like Samson's. I'm sure of that. But I'm sure as well that in our own small way, we can perhaps identify. This is why he sent Jesus. He lived a sinless life so that, we could, so that he could take on the consequences of our sinful lives in order that we can have a right relationship with God and spend eternity with him. This is why we have hope. There is always hope. And for some of us, we might need to draw a line under some poor choices today because we know that there is hope in Jesus. Remember Luke 4? He came to bind up, to heal, to set free, to proclaim good news. Maybe we all need an encounter with Jesus this morning as he restores maybe something that's been lost to us. The hair on Samson's head began to grow again. 
This series is about the strong becoming weak, but there's a truth in the gospel of the weak becoming strong. When we realize that we cannot strive to achieve God's grace, all we can simply do is receive it. And maybe we need to hear this morning the words that God speaks directly to us from 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As we come to close uh, and the uh, worship band come up, we're going to spend a moment just reflecting on those words. That God's grace is sufficient for you. That his power is made perfect in weakness. So, in many ways, may you not be like Samson or the nation that lost its way. But instead, may you know that you are called and chosen by God. And out of a relationship with him, may you live in a way that honors him. And when you stuff it up like we all do, may you know that his grace is sufficient for you that his power is made perfect in weakness. There is always hope, and his name is Jesus. He comes to bind up, to heal, to set free, to proclaim good news. There's always hope. There's always hope. Let's be still a moment as we just wait on the Lord.